What's the best news that you've ever heard? It's a big question, isn't it? Or what's the most important news that you've ever heard? Because today we're starting a new series in the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is about a life-changing news announcement from God that he wants everyone to hear. And I picked that phrase, news announcement from God, very carefully because that's the language Paul uses right here at the start of his letter to introduce his letter to this church in Rome. Now, you might have noticed, just as Romans 1 was read, the word gospel comes up a lot. Gospel. What does the word gospel mean? What do you think of when you hear the word gospel? If you're a Christian and you've been hanging around church a while, you'll think, well, the gospel is the message about Jesus, and it is. Or you might think of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You might think about gospel music, you know, some um, beautiful lady uh, bellowing out a, a gospel song. So I guess for us, gospel is a bit of a religious word, isn't it? It carries connotations of Jesus or at least gospel music or at least truth you know it's the gospel gospel truth but back when romans was written the word gospel was just talking about any good news so let me give you some real examples from history from roughly around the time this letter was written of things that are described in the roman culture as a gospel a gospel of a wedding announcement a gospel about the birth of a baby And one of my favourites, there's even an example of a gospel about cheap anchovies at the local fish market. Okay, probably not good news for most people, but, you know, these guys are Italians, they probably love their pizza. Anchovies, cheap, yeah. You get the point, though. Gospel just means good news. But the biggest use of the word gospel in Paul's day, and one that everyone in the Roman Empire would know very well, was that gospel was used to describe the victory of the Roman army. So when the Roman emperor won a battle, and that's what the Roman emperors wanted to do, they wanted to expand their territory and conquest, when the victory was won, the Roman emperor would send out a messenger. Okay, They didn't have Facebook, they didn't have Twitter. They would send out a messenger, an apostle, a herald, with the gospel. The good news announcement about the victory. So with that in mind, listen to how Paul starts his letter to this church in Rome, at the centre of the Roman Empire. Romans 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, okay, a messenger who's been sent, and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul is saying, I'm the runner, I'm the messenger with important news of victory from God. And that turns out to be what the entire book of Romans is about. In the book of Romans, Paul wants to unpack for us some fantastic news, some life-changing news that God wants every single person on the planet to know about. Now, we don't really get into that till next week when we hit verse 17 and 18 and for the whole rest of Romans. But here's a bit of an introduction And so for today, as Paul introduces himself to the Roman church and starts his letter, he wants them, he wants us to know that this good news isn't something that he made up. Have a look again at verse 1. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Okay, this is the news of God. This is news from God. I wonder what your favourite source of news is. Do you have the ABC radio on the way to church this morning? Do you like the local uh, radio station? Do you prefer Facebook or Twitter where you can choose what news you get? Well, here's some good news. It's not from Facebook. It's not from the Roman emperor. It's not from the markets about anchovies. This news announcement isn't a tweet from Donald Trump. No, this news is from God himself. The good news of God. Now, that's a big claim. (laughs) That's a very big claim. How do you know if that's true? Well, Paul goes on in verse 2. And what he goes on to to back up this claim with is he tells us that this gospel didn't just come from nowhere, okay? This news announcement was promised in the Old Testament so that when it did come, we would be able to recognise that it was from God. Have a look at verse 2 there. The gospel, the good news, that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now there's a lot in that. We're going to be unpacking it over the next few weeks. We find out that this good news is about Jesus, the Christ, the King. Okay, more about that in the next few weeks. He was descended from David, the great king. By his resurrection, it was proven that he is not just any king, he's the Christ, he's the one the Old Testament was pointing towards. But Paul's point here, I think, is that this good news about Jesus, it didn't just come from nowhere. There's a history leading up to it. It was promised. It was predicted. And that's one of the big differences between Christianity and every other religion. I mean, pick Islam. 600 years after Jesus, 600 AD, Muhammad gets a so-called word from God, but it comes out of nowhere. There's actually nothing to test it against. And even though Muhammad had some exposure to Christianity and he picks up ideas from the Bible and he talks about Noah and, and even Jesus... And he even claims that Jesus was a prophet. Yet there's nothing actually in the Bible that he refers to predicting Muhammad would come. In fact, the Quran itself completely contradicts what came before, before it. There's no continuity. Or in the 1800s, you've got Joseph Smith. He got a new message from God, the Book of Mormon. Same story. It came out of nowhere. It's not something that people were waiting for and expecting. Paul here is saying, I just didn't sit under a tree unhappy one day and make this up. This gospel was promised beforehand. Over hundreds of years by different people, prophets who God spent, Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, on the list goes. Paul's going to refer back to some of them in his book, in his letter. In other words, God sent prophets to announce the news announcement. God wanted us to be very clear that when this good news arrived, it would be from God himself. Which I think makes it very important, doesn't it? A message from God 
to the world that he made? Let's keep reading. And as we do, we find out the impact that this gospel has on the lives of the people who hear it. Because important news changes your life, doesn't it? If I were to hear a gospel about cheap anchovies at the markets, I love anchovies. I love a bargain. I'll dump everything and I'll be the first in queue down at the markets. How will the gospel, how will this gospel change people's lives? What different will this good news make to your life? Verse 5. Through him, that's through Jesus, and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. That's an important uh, phrase, the obedience that comes from faith. We know it's important because that's actually how Paul will end his letter in the last chapter. But let's keep going, verse 6. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The change that the gospel brings into a person's life is obedience. Obedience to King Jesus. Now, I don't know uh, whether you get very excited when you hear the word obedience, but that is actually a very big claim. Because if you read the Old Testament, if you read any of the Old Testament, there's one single lesson about us human beings. If there is one lesson, it's this. We can't obey God. Even at our best, even if we try our hardest, we can't obey God. The gospel, on the other hand, can turn you into a person who wants to obey God. How does that work? Well, we're going to find out in a few weeks. But what would you say is the key to obeying God? What is the secret? What is the key to obeying God? Is it self-discipline? Is it that if you work hard enough, that's how you can obey God? Develop some good habits? Is it prayer? Is prayer the way that you become obedient to God? Is it finding someone you can be accountable to to help you? Is that how you become obedient to God? Well, the answer is it's none of those things. Because in the Old Testament, God's people had all of those things and none of them worked. So where does real obedience come from? Well, just have a look briefly at the end of verse 5 to the obedience that comes from faith. Obedience comes from faith and with that we have hit one of the major ideas of the book of Romans. And this is what really sets Christianity apart from any man-made religion. Because the way to be right with God, the way to be in a good relationship with God, the way to be able to obey God, the way to have a life that pleases God, it is all a response to a message. And all we have to do is trust that message or trust the person who the message is about. See, Christianity, it's not some advice on how to make your life better. It's not like a book on self-improvement. It's not a set of guidelines on how to improve your spirituality. 
It's not even as a lot of people think it is. It's not a list of rules to obey. Christianity is a message, good news, about what Jesus has done for you. And there's nothing left to do. And we'll be finding out about that in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5. But for today, in this introduction, Paul just wants us to get a little taste that this gospel, it is great news. It is life-changing news. So let's keep going in Paul's introduction. Because in the next few verses, from verse 7 and onwards, we find out that this life-changing good news has now made it all the way to Rome. Okay, I'll go this way. Rome's up there for you people. So Rome is 3,500 kilometres from Jerusalem. 3,500 kilometres. Okay, they didn't have planes then. The good news about Jesus has spread all the way to Rome by word of mouth. The Apostle Paul, God's messenger to the Gentiles, hasn't even made it there yet. He hasn't even visited Rome, but the gospel has made it. And Paul has heard about it. And out of all the news that's flowing back out of the centre of the Roman Empire, back to Paul, what excites Paul the most... It's not what the emperor is doing. It's not who the emperor is. It's not the emperor's latest conquest of his Roman army. That's not the gospel that excites Paul. The most exciting news that Paul has heard from Rome is that there are now people in Rome who trust Jesus. Okay, Verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints... Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you and I pray that now, at last, by God's will, there may be a way open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I love the language Paul uses here. It's very strong. Did you notice in verse 11, Paul says that he wants to visit them to impart to them some spiritual gift to make them strong. What spiritual gift do you think Paul might be talking about here? Is he going to heal people? Well, is that what will encourage them? Is he going to give them some special prophecy? Well, he explains it in verse 12. The spiritual gift that he wants to give them to make them strong is simply that they can be encouraged by each other's trust in Jesus. Have a look. Verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, here it is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. See, Paul wants to share the gospel with them. He wants to chat with them about how they came to know Jesus. And when he hears about their faith, God at work in them, and when they hear about his faith, that's going to be mutually encouraging. 
And that's the case, isn't it? Have you met someone for the first time who you've discovered they're a Christian and uh, find out about how they came to know Jesus? It is encouraging to see God change people's lives. If you want to see the power of God at work in this world, you don't have to look any further than the gospel. That's where the action is. Look at verse 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Where's the power of God? The gospel. The main way that we see God's power at work, it's not when someone is healed or speaking in tongues, it's not when we have fantastic music and we feel all emotional, great as that is. No, the power of God is unleashed when you have a go at talking to someone about Jesus. And when you even bumble those words about Jesus out, the power is in the message. That's why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that's why Paul wants everyone to hear it. That's why he wants to go to Rome and share it with them. And when Paul wants everyone to hear it, he means everyone. Have a look at verse 14. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, or as some of the translations have barbarians, the lowest of low, both to the wise and the foolish. And then in verse 16, he says, for the Jew and for the Gentile, or the Greek is the word there. In other words, Paul is covering every possible category of person, Jew, non-Jew, Educated Greek, barbarian, wise, foolish. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter how unintelligent you are. Everyone on the planet needs to hear this good news. From the director of public works, who Paul mentions is a Christian, over in Romans 16, to the slave who ran away from his master in Philemon, everyone from the top of society to the bottom, needs the gospel. Doesn't matter what side of politics you're on. You can be conservative, Christian, democratic, green, liberal, labour, anything. You need to hear the gospel. Black, white, any shade in between. You need the gospel. Male, female, or anything else you choose to define yourself as, you need the gospel. Prime Minister of Australia, someone on welfare benefits, you need the gospel. It doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, what you do, everyone needs to hear this message. You do realise that, don't you? This good news, 
this life-changing good news. It's not just for us. God wants everyone to hear about it. So just for a moment, think about the people in your life. God wants every one of them to hear this gospel. Sadly, sometimes I think I have in my head somewhere this category that I make up where I put people in and I think they don't want to hear about Jesus so I won't raise it with them. So there's two categories of people that I put into that box. One is people who I'm intimidated by. They are so clever. Their life is so together that that, uh, they don't seem to have any problem. I feel like it would be a waste of time even bringing up the gospel with them because why do they need Jesus? Well, that's what they would think. And then on the other extreme, I have friends who are so crude and so offensive and so obviously opposed to God and they'll say that to me, I feel like I probably shouldn't raise it with them because they obviously don't want to hear about it. But here's the thing. They may not want to hear the gospel, but God wants them to hear it. So who are we to decide who should and shouldn't get to have the opportunity to hear it? God has a message that he wants everyone to hear about. Look, he even brought someone into your life to share it with you. Yes, he even wanted you to hear about it. And it's a message that changes people. See, what do you think it can change you, but it can't change other people? Look, if it could change me, it could change anyone. And when you get that, you'll talk to people, even if it is awkward, even if they don't want to hear. And when you get that, you won't make excuses. You know, excuses like, well, religion is just a private thing. I don't want to offend them. They don't want to hear about it. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, that is what drives people from DPC here when they retire to pack up their belongings into a suitcase, go to a country where they don't speak the language, go to a country where they don't know anyone, go to a country where they can't have a conversation without being afraid that someone is listening in and overhearing them, so they've got to be on their guard all the time, and talk to people about Jesus. They could be kicking back in retirement, enjoying life with the grandchildren, travelling around Australia. Instead, they're in an uncomfortable part of the world where they have no friends, trying to bring God's good news to people who haven't heard it. And it's the same gospel that drives people here at church to walk over to the other side of the auditorium after church, even though they might be shy, and say hello to someone they don't know, because that might help that person to hear the gospel. We want to be on about growing followers of Christ Jesus. 
That's the connect in our connect grow serve. And yet I wonder if sometimes our desire for church to be as it is, our love for church like it is now, our desire for church to be comfortable can sometimes even get in the way of the gospel. It's very easy, isn't it, to say, connect, yeah, sure, that's great. I want to be in a church that has connect as their motto. I want people in Dubbo to know about Jesus. But you do realise, don't you, that more people becoming Christians means church gets bigger. Church getting bigger means it's harder to get to know people. And that's hard. I've started to lose track of the amount of times I've heard someone say, church is getting big. And what comes next? Church is getting big. I feel lost. Church is getting big. I don't know anyone anymore or everyone anymore. Church is getting big. No one notices me. It's almost like it's a complaint that church is growing. It's almost as if we don't want church to grow. But more people hearing about Jesus doesn't actually work if you don't want church to get big. Okay? I'm praying for people to become Christians, but I want church to stay the same size so I can know everyone. Do you see the problem? If the gospel really is good news, which it is, and if the gospel changes lives, which it does, and if the gospel brings people to know Jesus, which it does, and if God wants everyone to hear the gospel, which he does, then maybe instead of saying, church is getting too big, no one talks to me anymore, I wonder if a better way for us to speak to each other, I wonder if a better way of actually reflecting our heart's true desire, our understanding of the gospel, I wonder if a better thing would be to say, church is getting big. Isn't that great? There's so many new people here. Isn't that fantastic that people want to hear about Jesus? There's people at church who I don't know. How good is that? Maybe I can go and say hello to them and welcome them. I got a text from Megan yesterday about Sunday school, kids' church this morning. And we now have so many kids' church classes that at church at 11, Megan needs to be setting up a class in the foyer and in the dining room. So there were some apologies and she's going to be moving people around during morning tea. And look, I was just looking at it all and I was getting tired just reading Megan's text. But then right at the end of the text, she says, here's to a growing church. Here's to a growing church. Overcrowding, hard work, not knowing everyone. Bring it on. Because we want people to come to know Jesus. Don't we? We want people's lives to be transformed by the gospel. Friends, the gospel is good news. Life-changing good news. And God wants everyone to hear about it. Let's pray. 
Father God, thank you that you didn't leave us groping around in darkness and in our own sin in this world, but that you chose to speak your good news to us. That you sent Jesus into the world to die and rise again so that we can come to know you through faith. That is really good news and we're excited that we'll be looking at it this term. But Father, we pray for people here this morning or for ourselves or for our friends whose life hasn't been changed yet by that good news. Father, please personally give people faith, trust in your son. Father, as they hear this message, please change them and bring about in their life faith that then works itself out in obedience. But Father, for all of us, please help us to so value, to so treasure, to be so excited about this good news, to realise that it is your power to change people, that we are not ashamed of it. Father, help us to be so excited by the gospel that it just oozes out of us, that we will put ourselves in uncomfortable situations so that other people can find out about Jesus. Father, thank you for this wonderful, life-changing good news. And Father, thank you that you wanted us to know about it so that we could come to know you. Amen.